0: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In
1: 1896, the New Mexico Territory was the Wild West. It was filled with the untamed violence of saloons, cowboys, and outlaws. In fact, one of the main things stopping New Mexico from gaining statehood was its reputation for lawlessness.
0: But times were changing for the territory. As the 20th century approached, telephones and electric lights would soon become common household items. Automobiles would also arrive shortly. Civilization was reaching the frontier whether the frontiersmen
1: wanted it or not. The area's lawlessness was also on the decline. Arguments between ranchers were now more often dealt with in a courtroom than in a gunfight. Criminals were jailed instead of shot in the street.
0: Still, New Mexico's desperados would not go down without a fight. Whenever men showed up with plans to bring law to the territory, they would often find themselves chased out of town or worse.
1: One of these men was a lawyer and family man named Colonel Albert Jennings Fountain. He tried to bring a notorious gang of cattle thieves to justice, but the outlaws had other plans. Unfortunately for Albert, it turned out that the West was still very wild.
0: This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
1: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case.
0: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: This is our first episode on the 1896 disappearance of Albert Fountain and his young son Henry. This week, we'll examine the events leading up to the Fountain's disappearance and possible murder. Next week, we'll cover the investigation led by Pinkerton detectives as they uncover a complex web of suspects.
2: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
0: Albert J. Fountain was born on October 23, 1838. He lived with his parents, Solomon and Catherine, in the quiet community of Staten Island, New York. At the time, the area was still very rural.
1: His father, a sea captain, was away for most of Albert's young life. But when Solomon was home, little Albert loved his stories of adventure on the high seas. He couldn't wait to live an exciting life like his father.
0: But Albert should have been careful what he wished for. When he was 15, Solomon disappeared without a trace. In Albert's father's last letter to his wife, he wrote that his ship was running out of food and the crew was growing restless. The man's boat was last seen near China before it seemingly vanished.
1: Albert was just a teenager at the time, but he was already studying at Columbia University, then known as Columbia College. Once he heard the news about his father while on a year-long tour of Europe and Asia with some friends, he went looking for him.
0: Albert hoped he would be able to track down his father, but he returned empty-handed. Solomon was never found.
1: When Albert returned from his trip, he didn't go home to New York. Instead, he disembarked in San Francisco and decided to stay and explore the new state of California.
0: He arrived in the late 1850s, about a decade after California's famous gold rush when thousands of people immigrated to the state in search of a new life and new
1: wealth. Over the next few years, Albert worked a string of odd jobs. But Albert Fountain had an advantage over most of his new neighbors. He was college educated. And in 1860, 22-year-old Albert used his degree to land a job reporting for the Sacramento Union newspaper. On one of his first assignments, Albert finally got the exciting adventure he wanted.
0: The young journalist was sent down to Nicaragua to report on the William Walker expedition. Walker had previously invaded Mexico with a private army and briefly conquered a small part of Baja, California. Now the man was trying to take control of Nicaragua. Albert discovered that Walker intended to turn Nicaragua into a slave-holding republic and name himself president. He sent word back to his newspaper in Sacramento.
1: When Walker and his militia realized that Albert had started reporting on his plans, he called for the journalist's arrest. Albert was immediately taken into custody and sentenced to death by firing squad. But Albert was
0: crafty and pulled off a brilliant escape. When he made it back to california and told his editor what happened the man barely believed him
4: i knew walker was crazy but i didn't know i'd be putting you in such danger sending you down there well he sure didn't like me sending news back here on his exploits i still have the scars how did you manage to escape we've got to print this before i reached the prison i ran from the guards i knew they'd be looking for me everywhere though So I borrowed this lady's dress and wig and boarded the first steamship out of there. Dressed as a woman? (laughs) A pretty one at that. We don't peddle fiction at this paper, Mr. Fountain. Well, boss, good thing it's true. And it's the only reason I'm sitting here right now.
0: After his dangerous experience in Nicaragua, Albert decided that he needed a new career. So over the next few years... He studied law and worked as a law clerk.
1: During this time, he even passed the California State Bar. But instead of battling in the courts, Albert soon found himself in the middle of a war.
0: On April 12, 1861, the Civil War broke out across America. Albert Fountain, like most young men at the time, enlisted almost immediately. The 22-year-old joined the Union Army, enlisting in Company E, the 1st California Infantry Volunteers.
1: Company E marched southwest through Arizona to New Mexico. They were stationed in the New Mexico Territory for the duration of the war.
0: During his time in the Army, Albert started to put down roots in the American Southwest. He became fluent in Spanish and took up a romance with a New Mexican girl named Mariana Perez. On October 27, 1862, the two were married.
1: Their first child, a son named Albert Jr., was born in 1864, around the same time the older Albert was discharged as an army lieutenant.
0: The new father was not out of the army long, however, before he felt the call to re-enlist. At the time, several New Mexico settlements were attacked by indigenous Americans. The army gathered men to fight against this so-called Indian uprising.
1: Albert Fountain, along with Corporal Val Sanchez, found himself in pursuit of a band of Navajo men who had left the Bosque reservation.
0: Fountain and Sanchez successfully located the men in the remote desert, but just as they were about to head back to Fort McRae for reinforcements, the Navajo men noticed they were being watched. Suddenly, they attacked.
4: They've seen us! We need to split up. They know this area better than us. Albert, are you sure we should? Go, now, toward McRae. I'll see you there. You there, stop or I'll shoot. (laughs) Ah! Ah!
0: Suddenly, Albert found himself alone and cornered in a tight mountain pass. He tried to hold off the men as best he could, but he was outnumbered. A bullet tore through Albert's left thigh. Then an arrow
1: shot through his forearm. Another struck his shoulder. Worst of all,
0: his horse had been shot. When the animal collapsed,
1: it pinned Albert beneath it. His attackers left, assuming the man would die from his wounds. But they were wrong, and for the second time, Albert cheated death. Luckily for Albert, Corporal Val Sanchez
0: made it back to Fort McRae and immediately gathered reinforcements. Not long after the sun rose, the men discovered Albert soaked in blood and trapped under his horse.
1: They raced Albert to Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas, to have the arrows removed. He survived, but it took months for Albert to recuperate. During that time, he often took strolls throughout the town, getting to know the locals.
0: He fell in love with El Paso. After he was discharged from the army, he moved to Texas with his wife and children He opened a law practice in the bustling city and decided to start a new career as a civic
1: leader. His law degree made him perfectly suited for politics. Albert was only 28 years old when he was elected county surveyor in 1866. That very same year, he was also appointed customs inspector.
0: Albert grew increasingly active in politics and became a top organizer for the Republican Party in West Texas. And it wasn't long before Albert's ambitions grew even larger. In
1: 1869, Albert ran for the Texas State Senate. His campaign against his Democrat opponent was grueling. But on November 30th, it all paid off when Albert won the Senate seat. In fact, Republicans swept every major state seat that year, thanks in no small part to Albert's organizing.
0: Needless to say, Albert was well-liked by his fellow Republican colleagues who he had helped get elected. Shortly after being sworn in, Albert was named
1: Majority Leader. After Albert's rough-and-tumble work in the military, a career as a politician felt like a welcome relief. After all, a life in politics would surely be safer than that of an army man. Or so Albert thought.
0: In reality... His time as senator would once again bring him to the brink of death.
1: Coming up, we'll explore Albert Fountain's dangerous life in politics.
2: Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from Parcast. When you think of a criminal, do you picture a killer, a gangster, a thief... I bet you didn't think it could be the little old lady down the street who murdered her tenants. Every Wednesday on my series, Female Criminals, meet the unlikeliest of felons. Mothers, neighbors, and unsuspecting lovers with a penchant for dangerous behavior. Discover the psychology and motives behind their disturbing crimes, and find out where their story stands today. But that's not all. Airing right now on Female Criminals is our special five-part look at the world's most infamous femme fatales, women who were deceptive and deadly, but not always the villain. Catch these episodes and more by following the Spotify original from Parcast, Female Criminals. New episodes premiere weekly. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And now, back to our story.
0: On March 30th, 1870, 31-year-old Albert Fountain was serving as a Texas state senator. It was the day Texas was readmitted into the Union. The former Confederate state had seceded during the Civil War. As a former Union soldier, Albert was thrilled that Texas was finally back in the fold.
1: Studious and hardworking, Albert excelled at his new role. He helped pass the Frontier Protection Bill, which reinstated the Texas Rangers as the state's chief investigative police force. For a first-term senator, Albert Fountain
0: was a massive success. But not everyone was happy with his career.
1: In December of 1870, Albert Fountain had a run-in with a former political supporter named Frank Williams, Frank was upset that Albert hadn't used his political influence to appoint Frank to a civil service position.
0: The men's heated argument at Dowell's Saloon soon dissolved into something worse.
3: Fountain, or should I say Senator? I see you. Don't try to scurry away. Hello,
4: Frank. I was just leaving.
3: Of course you were. You're always disappearing, just like that promise you made to me. I didn't make
4: any promises, Frank.
3: That's not how I remember it. But then again, you've always been a no good liar.
4: You're nothing but a lousy drunk. You're not fit for public office and never will be. I'm not going to stand here and- Not so
3: talkative anymore, are you?
4: Put the gun down, Frank.
1: Albert was shot three times in the scuffle. One bullet scratched his scalp. Another tore through his arm. The last would have struck his chest if the pocket watch in his coat jacket hadn't miraculously stopped it. Once again, Albert narrowly avoided an early grave.
0: As Albert stumbled out of the saloon, blood poured down his face from his scalp wound. But a few bullets weren't enough to stop him, He rounded up a posse to get Frank and bring him to justice. A few hours later, Albert's gang hunted Frank down. When they found him, Albert found himself face to face with Frank and the barrel of a shotgun.
1: Frank's first shot missed Albert, but a member of his posse wasn't so lucky. The man took the full impact of the shotgun blast and died instantly.
0: Albert returned fire. His first bullet knocked Frank off his feet, and as Frank was clawing for his shotgun, a second bullet killed him. It was a deadly serving of frontier justice.
1: After that fiasco, Albert was done with politics, at least for a little while. He finished up his four-year term in 1873 and then moved his family to Mesilla, New Mexico, back where Mariana grew up.
0: Albert opened up a law practice in the small town and quickly became one of the town's most prominent citizens. In 1874, he started the Mesilla Dramatic Association, and three years later, he founded the town's first paper, the Mesilla Valley Independent.
1: Albert continued his law career, taking on cases big and small. His biggest case came in 1881, when he was assigned to be the court-appointed lawyer for William H. Bonney, the infamous outlaw known as Billy the Kid.
0: Ultimately, Bonney was found guilty of murdering a sheriff and given the death sentence. Still, the young criminal had nothing but nice things to say about Albert.
3: I'm sorry I couldn't do more for you, Mr. (laughs) Bonney. Don't be. You did the best you could. After all, I did kill that sheriff. Well, uh,
4: I can appeal the decision if you can get the money together.
3: (laughs) No need. I've got a plan of my own.
1: A few days later, William Bonney escaped from his cell in Lincoln, New Mexico, killing two deputies in the process. A massive manhunt to find the outlaw finally reached its end on July 14th, 1881 when a man named Pat Garrett killed Bonnie.
0: But Albert was far removed from all that excitement. He spent his time in Mesilla working in politics. He once again helped organize Republican campaigns, and soon enough, he was organizing his own. In November of 1888, Colonel Albert Fountain, now 50 years old, won a seat on the New Mexico Territorial Legislature. When Albert reached Santa Fe to start his term, he was chosen as Speaker of the House.
1: In his role as Speaker, Albert was able to promote a three-pronged agenda. First, he wanted public education for boys and girls, which was controversial at the time. Second, he pushed for New Mexico's Territorial College to be placed in Las Cruces, near his home in Mesilla. Third, he campaigned for the New Mexico legislature to draft a constitution and become a state.
0: But as Albert's political career once again flourished, he once again made political enemies.
1: Albert's opponent in the 1888 legislature race was a Democrat named Albert B. Fall. He was a lawyer with shady ties to New Mexico's criminal network and did not take the loss well.
0: In 1890, Albert ran against Fall again and lost by only 45 votes. Albert was furious about the loss and believed that Fall had somehow cheated. So when the pair went head-to-head in the next election two years later, Albert made sure Fall couldn't pull the same scheme again.
1: He and his fellow Republicans sent out the militia to guard the ballot boxes. To Albert, this was a way to protect from voter fraud. But Fall saw it as blatant voter intimidation, and he decided to do exactly the same.
0: Fall hired three outlaws, Oliver Lee, Jim Gilland, and Billy McNew, to keep watch over the ballot boxes as well. But Fall's private militia, which would later become known as the Tularosa Gang, weren't exactly there to ensure a free and fair election. They had one job, to make sure Fall won, And as it turned out, their strong-arm tactics worked. In
1: 1892, Fall beat Albert and was elected to the legislative seat once again. A year later, Fall became a district judge, and he quickly named the Tularosa Gang as new U.S. deputy marshals.
0: At that point... Albert Fountain was fed up with the corruption in the New Mexico government, so he volunteered to be the special investigator and lawyer to a new group intent on stopping cattle rustlers called the New Mexico Stock Growers Association.
1: Albert hired Ben Williams, a constable from Las Cruces, and U.S. Marshal Les Dow, to help with the investigation. It was a success. By the end of the year, Albert had successfully prosecuted over 15 cattle thieves, giving them prison sentences of up to 10 years.
0: But Albert's fight against local cattle rustlers quickly brought him head-to-head with his rival, Fall, once again. During one of his investigations, Albert stumbled across rumors that the Tularosa gang were busy stealing livestock and altering cattle brands to hide the evidence.
1: The gang may have been deputy marshals, but the badges hadn't given them any more respect for the law. And Albert was sure that Fall somehow had a hand in the scheme. So he and Ben Williams opened up a secret investigation.
0: Unfortunately, it didn't take long before this news made its way back to
4: Fall. Deputy Williams, I heard you and Fountain were
3: sticking your noses where they don't belong. I don't know where you would have heard such a thing, Mr. Fall.
4: Fountain has always had it out for me. Now he's framing me like some kind of criminal.
3: Well, if you aren't, I suppose you have nothing to worry about. See you around, Mr. Fall. Williams,
4: I'm not done with you yet.
1: Fall opened fire on Ben Williams. One bullet shot through the deputy's hat. Another struck his shoulder. Albert was shaken by the attack, but he didn't let it affect his work. He continued his efforts to bring the Tularosa gang to justice. Unfortunately, when he finally arrived at the courthouse to prosecute them, he realized that the judge and members of the grand jury were all close friends of Fall.
0: Instead of investigating cattle rustling charges or Ben Williams' attempted murder the grand jury investigated the New Mexico Stock Growers
3: Association. The grand jury has handed me their verdict in this matter. Albert Fountain has been indicted for forgery, charged with faking a telegram from Major Tell.
4: Your Honor, I assure you that telegram was genuine, and regardless, it was about a private matter not
3: relevant to the court. You had your time to defend yourself, Colonel Fountain. Sit down. Deputy Benjamin Williams has been indicted for murder. ...charged with killing Your
4: Honor! That man was an outlaw who was resisting arrest. It was a year ago. Dippity Williams isn't even here to defend himself.
3: Colonel Fountain, I will hold you in contempt
4: of court. Has Albert Fall been charged for shooting Williams? He even
3: admitted he did it. The grand jury did not have time to investigate the matter.
1: When the trumped-up indictments went to court, they were immediately dismissed... Albert, now free to go, didn't let Falls' influence scare him. In a letter to a friend, he wrote,
4: Mrs. Fountain and her illness is aggravated by mental trouble arising from her apprehension that my life is in danger. I entertain no such apprehension. Yet were I to so believe, I should not be deterred. Public opinion here is with us, and the present condition of affairs cannot long exist. Nevertheless... I anticipate a hard contest. One, perhaps, to the death.
0: Unfortunately for Albert Fountain, his dark prediction would come true. This court case would turn out to be his last.
1: In a moment, we'll examine the events leading up to Albert Fountain's disappearance. And now, back to our story.
0: January 12th, 1896 was a cold day in Mesilla, New Mexico. The weather that morning matched Mariana Fountain's mood. She was desperately worried about her husband's life.
1: The 57-year-old Albert Fountain had plans to head to the town of Lincoln, New Mexico, where he would help the local prosecution with charges against two members of the Tularosa gang before Albert Fall could intervene. Mariana knew how dangerous the situation could be, and she pleaded with Albert to stay home, but he wouldn't hear it.
4: Please don't go, sweetheart. Those men are no good. God knows what they will do. You know as well as I do. It's time they're brought to justice.
1: Please, Albert. At least take Henry with you. There is some good in all men. They wouldn't hurt a father in front of an innocent child, would they?
4: I'm not so sure about that. But I know our little Henry would enjoy the journey.
0: After much pleading, Albert agreed to take his eight-year-old son on the 150-mile journey to Lincoln. For safety, Albert placed two rifles and a knife under his carriage seat. Behind his seat was a wooden box filled with all the evidence for his upcoming trial.
1: Mariana packed the wagon with plenty of food to make sure her husband and son were well-fed for their trip. She loaded the carriage with extra blankets as the temperature often dropped below freezing in January.
4: On
0: January 21st, the grand jury began to hear testimony against the Tularosa gang— Albert presented his evidence, including the hide of a stolen cow to show how its branding had been altered.
1: And it worked. It was a hard-fought battle, but Albert Fountain's prosecution was a resounding success. When the grand jury adjourned on January 30th, it issued 32 indictments against 23 men, including Oliver Lee and Billy McNew, two members of the Tularosa gang with close ties to fall. Albert was surely smiling with relief when he exited the courthouse that day. But that grin faded when a local courier handed him a mysterious letter. Colonel Fountain?
4: Yes? I have a letter for you. If you drop this, we will be your friends. If you go on with it, you'll never reach home alive. Wait, wait! Who gave you this? Oh, I don't know, sir. He didn't say his name.
0: At this point in his career, Albert Fountain was a man who was used to getting threats. He was not going to let an intimidating letter stop him from prosecuting one of the biggest cases of his career.
1: But even though Albert wasn't worried, his friends were. To your
4: court victory! Just the indictments. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves.
3: Those are worth celebrating, too. I know I for one won't be safe until that whole gang of criminals is behind bars. Are you staying in Lincoln until the trial? Oh, no.
4: I have to get Henry back to his schooling. Plus, Mrs. Fountain would be worried sick. I'll be heading west in just a few hours.
3: Hmm. I have some letters headed west. The mail carrier said you would be going that direction tomorrow. You should wait for him and travel together. You'd be safer in a group.
4: Oh, I'll be fine. Everyone worries over me too much.
0: After that lunch on January 30th, Albert and Henry Fountain left Lincoln in their two-horse buggy. The 32 indictments were safely hidden away in a wooden box behind Albert's seat. In three days, they'd be back in Messia and the Tularosa gang would be brought to justice.
1: That night, after an 18-mile journey, the Fountains stopped at Blazer's Mill. Joseph Blazer, the mill's proprietor, had also been a Union soldier. So Albert and Joseph shared many war stories as the night wore on.
0: When the conversation turned to Albert's work, Albert assured Blazer that he had more than enough proof to lock up the Tularosa gang for good. The only thing that could thwart the trial was the disappearance of witnesses or Albert himself.
1: Blazer was also worried about Albert traveling alone. He recommended that Albert take two of his friends to serve as lookouts, but Albert waved away his suggestion.
0: Albert and Henry left Blazer's mill early the next morning. On the road, they encountered an Apache man who was a friend of Albert's. He felt he was indebted to Albert for a favor the colonel had done for him a while back and wanted to give Albert a pony and a show of gratitude.
1: Albert had no need for a pony, but Henry loved the idea of having a new pet. So Albert agreed to take the animal for his children.
0: The colonel tied the pony to the back of his buggy and continued westward towards La Luz. It wasn't long before Albert noticed he was being followed.
1: Several more times throughout that day, Albert saw two bearded men trailing him and his son. Once or twice, they appeared far in front of them on the road, but the men were never close enough to identify.
0: The fountains reached La Luz as the sun was setting. They stayed with Albert's friend, David Sutherland, glad to warm up indoors after a long, cold journey.
1: Close to Sutherland's home was Meyer's General Store, which had a large display of candy. Henry begged his father for some money to buy some treats— Albert did not put up much of a fight. While he had been resistant to Henry coming with him on this trip at first, Albert had enjoyed having his son by his side throughout the journey.
0: Albert gave Henry a quarter and the young boy rushed to the store. After some deliberation, Henry purchased ten cents worth of candy and tied his change, a dime and a nickel, into a handkerchief. The morning of February 1st, 1896, was particularly brutal, with bone-chilling winds and icy conditions. Henry bundled up against his father as they embarked on the last leg of their journey to Mesilla.
1: Colonel Albert Fountain was well known throughout the New Mexico Territory, so it wasn't uncommon for him to run across acquaintances on the road. Today was no different. A few hours after leaving La Luz, The fountains encountered Santos Alvarado, a local mail carrier.
0: Alvarado, like all of Albert's friends, was worried for the fountains. Alvarado warned Albert that he had seen three strange men on horseback, but when he approached them, they veered off the road.
1: Albert once again dismissed the warning, but thanked Alvarado. He was only hours away from home now, and Albert trusted that the rifle he had resting on his lap was protection enough against any possible attack.
0: At around noon, the fountains stopped at a friend's ranch. While the fountains ate lunch, the horses drank from the ranch well, resting for the final stretch to Messia.
1: Albert and Henry left at around 2 p.m. Halfway to Messia, they crossed paths with another acquaintance, Saturnino Barella, Unfortunately for the Fountains, Barella had yet another story about three mysterious men he had encountered on the road.
4: Senor Barella, is that you under all those jackets?
3: You've got to protect from this weather somehow, Senor Fountain. Are you headed home to Messia?
4: Yes, the wife is waiting for me. We should be there by tomorrow morning. But if I'm a minute late, I'm sure I'll hear about it.
3: I won't hold you long, then. But I should tell you, I just passed three odd men.
4: Let me guess, one is a dark hat, the others have 10 ones?
3: So you know, when I spotted those fellows, they left the road at a full gallop, right towards the Sacramento mountains. I'm afraid they may be back.
4: Luckily, we're not too far and I've got this rifle. Besides, Henry here is a pretty good shot.
3: You know, my route is headed towards Messia tomorrow evening. Why don't you and Henry here join me? And we'll get you home tomorrow by dinner time.
4: Thank you, but my wife would be too worried. We'll just pick up the pace a little bit.
0: With that, Barella rode eastward, unaware that he would be the last person to see Albert and Henry Fountain alive.
1: As the fountains continued on, Albert was justifiably nervous. His eyes darted from left to right, scanning for the three cowboys. Suddenly, only five miles later, he heard some rustling behind a bush.
0: It was an ambush. Suddenly, the three unknown horsemen rushed the fountain's wagon, forcing it off the road.
4: Keep your head down, Henry! Come on! Faster! Faster!
1: What exactly happened to Albert and Henry Fountain after that remains unknown to this day.
0: Mariana Fountain was expecting her husband and son to arrive the morning of February 2nd, but the hours passed with no sign of Albert or Henry.
1: Late that evening, Mariana heard a loud knock. She rushed to the entranceway in relief, but the man at the door wasn't who she wanted to see. Albert, you were supposed to be home by... Oh, Senor Borella. Sorry, I was expecting my husband.
3: Senor Fountain did not arrive today?
1: Maybe the weather delayed him. I expect him back any minute.
3: I'm sorry, ma'am. Is one of your older sons at home. Albert Jr., perhaps.
1: Why? What is it?
3: Well, I saw your husband yesterday afternoon, Senora. Only... A half a day's ride from here.
0: Saturnino Barella explained to the family that Albert and Henry had been followed by three horsemen throughout their travels. The morning after Barella spoke to Albert, he traveled the same road.
1: Barella had spotted the wheel tracks of the fountain's buggy. The tracks veered off the road and were followed by three sets of horse tracks. And next to the tracks was what looked like blood-stained dirt, But Albert and his son were nowhere to be found.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two on the colonel and his son, where we'll try to uncover which of Albert's many enemies actually pulled the trigger among the many sources we used, we found Murder on the White Sands by Corey Recco, extremely helpful to our research.
1: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: If we live till next time.
0: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Matt Hartman, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon and River Donahue. Fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Joe Hernandez, Kai Jordan, Eddie Lee, Julian Smith, and Rebecca Thomas. Unsolved Murders stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy.